welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. So I, uh, yeah, how are you going today? I am glad that it's Thursday. Thursday is one of my favorite days of the week. Oh, that's so nice. Yes. I like that because I'm a part of Thursday. You are a part of Thursday. So that makes me feel good. Yes. And then after I also like like Thursdays. Yeah? Why do you like Thursdays? I've actually liked Thursdays for for like 15 years. Oh, that's an amazing time to like Thursdays. I'll tell you why. Because Thursdays have often been a really great time for me. So when I was first giving my life to Jesus, Thursday, I was in a, I was in a band at church and uh, that was band practice day. So I used to count my days like this. Monday morning, I'd rock up to school. Mm-hmm. Year 12, uh, school was what it was. And I was like, how many days? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Three days to band practice. Yeah. Tuesday, two days to band practice. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go there. And once I got to Thursday, I was like, Two days to Sabbath. That was actually, that was literally how I counted my week. Yeah. I counted down to band practice and then to Sabbath. Awesome. <laughs> but then when I started working, uh, when I used to work in the outdoor industry, I had Fridays off. Mm-hmm. So I always loved Thursday. It was the last day of work. Yeah. And now Thursday is date night with my wife. Woo! Also good. So, so good. Thursdays were great. Thursdays are radio. a great day. Yeah. I love the radio. Awesome. So w- tell, tell us... You're coming to the end of your semester, but we don't really want to talk about that, do we? Boo. <laughs> was that, do you not want to? Or was no, that... no, we can, we can. It's the final push, right? It's like a last last couple of weeks. So uh, an exam, assessments coming up, just in the thick of those at the moment. So any of you uni students who are listening, we feel your pain because we're both studying. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah. And for those of you out there who have just started year 12 this term, good on you guys. And for those of you who are waiting, HSC didn't, and final exams around the country are yes. coming up, aren't they? Yes. Smash them. That's what we want to say to you guys. They've actually just started, I think. Well, do your best. Yeah. May God bless you. Yes. But yeah. So life is good. Man, it's a beautiful day today. We have uh, some fantastic weather. Yes. Have you gone surfing or sailing or anything recently? I did go surfing this morning, and I actually I got a couple really fun waves. It was a little crowded, but... You know, one thing that you have you have to realize is that in order for something that you enjoy to, to spread the love of that adventure, that time outside, whatever that might be, whatever those activities are, it, it's going to get crowded at times. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of just accept that because that means that other people are enjoying what you're enjoying and being blessed too. So that's good. But all those things aside, we have a great show lined up for you today, and I'm super excited about that. We are continuing on with our study of people from the Bible, as you might have guessed, but today we're actually beginning. <laughs> today we're actually beginning a new study. We're studying about a five-part or six-part yes, study. Yes, I'm excited on for this. King David. So super stoked about that. We're going to hear about that a bit later, and it's going to be a great time transitioning into that. Stick around; you don't want to miss it. This is Vocal oh. Union. Come in. 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Real Faith Radio. And uh, just before we get on to it, I just wanted to give you a shameless plug because we love, right, Beck? That's that's a dangerous thing because uh, I just I, was like, I do love, but but I don't know what you're about to say. This is dangerous. <laughs> that's why I put you in that preca- precarious position. Anyway, what I was going to say is we absolutely love to hear from you guys, and um, we have a portion of the show where we do question of the week or questions of the week when there's time to do more than one, and uh, we just want to encourage you, if you have any questions about God or the Bible or any of those kinds of things, and you'd like us to have a look at that with you here on the show, you can do so by sending your questions in to 1-800-324-843, that's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or you can text in at 0491-064-864. Double six nine, and you can also message us on our Facebook page. Yes, Faith FM. So, what do you have for us today? Because it's come that time of the day that I love. For what a weird and wonderful world that we live in. Absolutely. So today we've we've looked at different things. We've looked at places. We've looked at animals. And I thought, well, why don't we look at all of that together? So Ah. today, our weird and wonderful world facts are coming from the Amazon. Ooh, that yes. is a place where people and animals and land all occur. Combined. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What do you know about the Amazon, Robbie? Um, the I know that I've been there. Excellent. Um, 
I know it's very green. Yes. It produces a lot of oxygen. Although algae in the ocean produces more oxygen than all of the forests of the world combined, I believe. Yes. Um, I Actually, learned that we recently. did that as a weird and wonderful fact. That's amazing, time. yeah. See, I do I do listen. It's true. I learn lots of things. Um, let's see. It's The Nile River is the longest river in the world, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, uh, it's either that or the Nile. I'm pretty it sure was, it's the Amazon. It's the um, the Amazon has the most volume. I oh, there that. we go. Okay, Definitely. so maybe it's the volume. Yes, that's what I can remember. Excellent. So um, they have very big spiders. They do bird eating spiders. Yes. So all of you who don't like spiders, stay away from the Amazon. <laughs> Absolutely. And Australia. <laughs> So the Amazon is the world's biggest <laughs> rainforest. Um, it's larger than the two next combined rainforests, basically. It's so big. It covers almost 7 million square kilometers um, in the basin, the Amazon basin. And then the rest of it covers 8 million square kilometers. So it's a huge amount that it covers. So you, we said it before that the Amazon River is the world's largest river by volume. It carries more than 12 times that of the Mississippi River. So for those of you that don't know, that's in America. Yes, America. America. <laughs> <laughs> so it has an amazing amount of trees and species. It's estimated to have 16,000 tree species. 16,000. Species and 390 billion individual trees. 390 billion. That's a yeah. lot of trees. Yeah. No wonder it produces a fair bit of oxygen. <laughs> Speaking of spiders, they have a lot of insects. 2.5 million species of insects. Wow. And half of them just live in the canopy, so they don't even make it to the ground. They just stay up in the canopy. Well, a lot of people would be happy about that. Let's be real. <laughs> That's so true. So some of the animals that are there um, are the jaguar, the puma. These are some of the interesting ones. Did you say? Can you say that again? Puma? Puma. That, How see, do you say it? We say puma. Oh. Yeah, that sounds funny. You can say it with that accent if you really want to. No, Puma. You can say it with that you accent. Sound a little bit like Antonio Banderas or somebody. <laughs> um, Hola, have... Puma. <laughs> That's how you say hello to the Puma. <laughs> they also have spider monkeys. In Spanish. And they have electric eels as well, which I didn't know a lot about, but they can kill you being shocked by these electric eels. Isn't that incredible? Crazy. I need to look at, you know, get some more information about that because I was thinking, man, who discovered this? How much did they know? Have we should do an it? underwater weird and wonderful world sometime. That's a good idea. Just Let's it out do there. that. And just to finish up, I wanted to finish on one of the cutest, I think, sweetest animals. Oh, it's the sloth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely the sloth. Just quickly, they when I, when I was on the Amazon River, they, people would come up, kids would come up with sloths. This, they, they're getting money off of tourists. And so they would come up with that and you'd pay, you could pay to, to hold it. But yeah. man, they are so slow. <laughs> Incredibly well, slow. Well, they're clumsy on land, but they're great swimmers. So this is something I learned. But you can't be slow in the water and survive. That's the <laughs> They must have to save all their energy for swimming. I think everything goes slowly with them because they only go to the toilet once a week, which is very interesting. Wow. Yeah. Do you know, actually, contrary... If that's the case for you, you should see a doctor. That's probably true. But contrary to their reputation, sloths only sleep about 10 hours a day. Mm. So they don't sleep the whole day. They actually sleep less than cats. <laughs> so, so cats are more slothful <laughs> yeah, than sloths. Yeah, that's so true. Also, this is interesting. Algae grows on their fur, and that camouflages them green. That's how slow they are. That's how slow They're they so are. They're so slow that algae begins to grow on them. They can't clean themselves yeah, fast yeah. enough to get rid of algae. <laughs> this one is really cute. The three-toed sloth can turn their head almost 360 degrees. So almost wow. all the way around. It might take them like five minutes, but they've turned it. <laughs> um, and also, they can live up to 40 years old. 
So, yeah, I just thought that, man, sloths were so cool. They're so cute. I love them. Um, I have a fluffy stuffed one on my bed. And, yeah, the Amazon, what an amazing place with all these species and things. God's made a, a wonderful world. And I just sort of look at that and think, wow, what are we going to have in heaven? If this is what we have here on this broken world, what is it going to be like in heaven? Oh, what a cool thought. That's something we should spend more time thinking about. What in the world are the amazing things that God has in store for us in eternity based on what we've seen here. This is Liberty, How Great Thou Art.
back to Real Fate with Robbie and Beck. Obviously, this is not Robbie and Beck at the moment. It's Liam, and um, I'm joined here with Teresa Tarosian. Um, and today, she is the guest interview for our Testify segment. Welcome to the show, Teresa. Thank you, Liam. It's great to be here. Now, Teresa, uh, we're here to learn a little bit about you and a little bit about uh, what your life was like before you met Jesus, what it was like in that moment, um, and what you're doing now. But, but first, uh, can you tell us a little bit about a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you do? Yeah, great. Well, I currently am living in Newcastle, and I work for the North New South Wales Conference of the Seventh Day Adventist Church in their prayer ministries, and also as part of their evangelism team. And that might sound like a mouthful. So basically, I'm involved in serving God and praying with people and teaching the Bible. Fantastic. That's amazing to hear. Um, so let's just we'll jump straight into the questions. You're you're uh, obviously working in evangelism, and that's obviously quite a quite an intense role. Which uh, you know, you, you, your walk with God would have to be quite unique. Um, I mean, obviously, every, everyone can do it if they feel convicted to do it. Um, but where did it all start for you? What was your life like before? I guess you found Jesus. You know, that's a great question. I'm I was very privileged to have a mum who knew Jesus and she's the one who introduced me to Jesus and uh, my whole life from as long as I can remember mum took my sister and I to church every Saturday we were at church and I remember sitting in the pews as a little girl looking at the preacher get up the front and preach and think wow that's amazing I wish I could do that and some of those sermons that I heard when I was little really impacted me and I remember I don't know I don't know how old I was I think I was 10 I don't remember what the date was but there was just one night when I was growing up where I realized suddenly it just kind of hit me that all the stories I heard about Jesus was about someone who actually loved me. And there was just this moment, I can't tell you the date or the time, but it was a night time, I know that, where I suddenly realized that Jesus loved me, and that was very moving. Uh, so my whole life, I have, I guess, known about Jesus, but he became real and personal uh, on that particular occasion. Mm, wow, so it's, it's almost in that moment, that's when you realize that he really became your friend. Yeah. Um, that's amazing to hear. And since then, what have you what have you done? Um, what are you What are you doing to, I guess, serve Jesus now? Yeah, well, that that realization began a journey for me. Yeah. And uh, as a teenager, again, I was I was actually a very shy person growing up. I don't know if you can tell that, Liam. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but I was very shy, and like I said, I used to go to church and I used to see people preach, and I think, wow, that's amazing. So as a little girl, I'd go home, shut myself in my bedroom, stand in front of our mirror that we had in our room, my sister and I shared a room, and I would actually pretend to preach to the mirror. <laughs> and they were some of history's deepest sermons. I don't think many theologians or people in the world today would understand the deep things I preached to that mirror. <laughs> then one day, while I was in the middle of one of my deepest sermons, my sister came into the room without knocking and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm preaching. She said, can I play? I said, sure. So she would uh, do the welcome, lead in a song service of sorts, take up the offering, say the opening prayer, and then I'd preach. We'd stand together for our closing song. And then as she left the bedroom, I'd shake her hand and thank her for coming. <laughs> <laughs> so we were doing this for, you know, a couple of years, I would have been six, maybe seven. And one time while I was preaching, an, a man from our church came to visit my dad who wasn't going to church and he saw me preaching to the mirror and he thought, one day I'm going to ask that girl to preach. Years later, he did. And I was 16 when he did. But just before he did, there was another side to my story. I was um, a high school student and I 
remember I showed up at school one morning, my teacher walked past and I was talking with my friends and she said, have you got your speeches ready for English? And we looked at each other and we said, nope, none of us had done our homework. She said, well, you better do it because it's due next class. So we stopped talking. We went and started trying to quickly write something for class. The bell rings, English starts, she's a teacher, she knows we haven't done our homework, so whose name does she put on the board to go first? My name went on the board <laughs> to go first. And this particular speech had to be about a book that we had read, and it was a monologue. You picked a character from the book and pretended to be that person. So I pretended to be the brother of a girl who died in the Columbine High School shootings. Her name was Rachel Scott, and it was a book called Rachel's Tears. Anyway, I'm going through the speech, pretending to be him and making it up because I hadn't any notes. And as I get to the end, a little light bulb goes on in my head and it says, why don't you make an appeal? Like you see the preachers do when they're preaching to large audiences. After all, you're just pretending to be like somebody else. And I thought that was a great idea. So I come to the end of my speech front of my year eight class and I said and now if you would like to accept Jesus as your personal savior would you mind raising your hands with me <laughs> and the class just sat there I'd never seen my classmates sit so still actually none of them moved my teachers at the back of the room with a jaw on the ground it looked like <laughs> mouth open she couldn't believe what she was seeing and I'd never seen an appeal done where nobody responded, so I didn't know what to do. So I just stood there and stood there and stood there. And finally, my best friend was sitting in the front row. <laughs> she was so embarrassed. She put her hand up and her head down. <laughs> and I said, God bless you, friend, and sat down. <laughs> and when I sat down, <laughs> I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. I went home. I cried. I told my mom about it. I wanted to change schools. And she said, no, no, it's okay. You're just pretending to be like somebody else. <laughs> that is quite the speech that you must have given. <sighs> I can only imagine what how you must how you must have been feeling after that. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back uh, right after uh, the song and the news and we'll, uh, we'll keep on going to see what's at, see what happens next. Just trust in me. 
He's got the authority. You're not divine, but He calls you His child. I'm not worthy, but He's calling me. I'm not strong. He's got the power. I'm not courageous. He's got the authority. I'm not divine, but He calls me His child. So hear your Father saying, when I call, you just trust in. Back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We're in the, the middle of our Testify segment with Teresa Tarosian. And um, Teresa, you've just given a speech to your class and you're, uh, you, you're quite embarrassed. And um, I want you to tell me, what, uh, what was it like for you the next day? The next day I showed up at school. My teacher saw me. My friends had missed the bus. I was feeling very alone, really odd. Nobody really wanted to talk to me. That <laughs> wasn't close because of the day before. My teacher saw me. She said, walk with me. So I walked with her across the campus and she said to me, Sharissa, that was an amazing speech you gave yesterday. She said, I've been talking with the teachers. How would you like to give it in assembly today? I said, do you mean the whole thing? Do you mean the hands up thing <laughs> and everything? She said, yeah, the whole thing. I've been talking with the teachers. She said, uh, you got 99 out of 100. I said, really? What did I lose the mark on? She said, you went too long. Oh. <laughs> so I uh, then had to remember what I'd said the day before. You know, the assembly came, stood up in front of the school, gave the speech as best I could remember it. And I changed the appeal just a little bit. I wanted more hands, you know. And, uh, yeah, nearly every hand in the school went up. Oh, wow. Praise God. And that teacher, she obviously saw something in me, shy 14-year-old high school girl, that she thought could be developed for God's glory. The following year, year nine, there's a public speaking competition. The student the school entered to represent us had to leave. He moved to another state, and so they asked me to replace him. And I said, all right, I'll do it. I'll think about it. And I thought about it and came back and I told her and I said, I'll do this on one condition that I can talk about God. You know, I've met Jesus. He's real to me. Now I want to talk about him wherever I can. And she looked at me and she could have said to me, that's nice, Sharissa, but God won't work in a public speaking competition like this. But she didn't. She said, I think that's the best thing you could do. She encouraged me. So I went home and uh, wrote a speech on eternity. Because you remember in the year 2000, the Sydney Harbour Bridge lit up and there splashed across the bridge was the word eternity. And so I thought, no one can argue with that. So I wrote a speech about the eternity God offers to us. And um, the night before, I was so nervous. I wish you could imagine how nervous I was, but some of you listening maybe can't. I was so nervous. I knelt beside my bed and I still remember this. If I close my eyes, I see my room and everything in it. I knelt beside my bed and I said, God, I can't do this. I'm so nervous. I think I'll get too nervous tomorrow when I do it. So I said to him, if you let me win tomorrow, (laughs) then I promise you that I'll speak for you wherever you open the doors. I was 14. Next day I showed up at school. We were hosting the competition and all these other kids from all these other schools showed up and they were impressive public speakers. I mean, polished. And... um, 
you know, one guy walked past him, he said, oh, the UN don't even have a standing army. I'd never even heard of the UN before. I thought he was talking about UN. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the time came for me to get up and give this speech. I stood in front of this secular audience and I began telling them about eternity. And while I'm in the middle of my speech, something happens that should never happen. My principal walked into the room. While I'm in the middle of my speech, I'd memorized my notes. And as soon as I saw him come in, the speech that I'd memorized disappeared. And I looked at my audience um, with a serious look. They thought it was paused for effect, but I was panicking. I didn't know what to say. And the next thing happened, my mouth just took off telling people about God. It was amazing. I didn't do it. And then the second time the bell rang, my classmates walked past the room we're in. There's a window in the door. They're waving at me. They know that this is a competition. They're giving me thumbs up again. (laughs) I look at them. Notes vanish. Again, I'm panicking. What comes next? And my mouth, God just put the words in my mouth. My mouth took off and I listened to what I was saying. And I caught up with my, you know, what I was saying and carried on. It happened three times. Three times I lost the words, Liam. Three times God gave me the words. That was just one half of the competition. Second half was an impromptu speech, which I was, I'm not even trying to be humble. I was the worst candidate in the room on that. But when they announced the winners, there were three winners that went to the next round. Someone else, someone else, and then he said my name. I went and I spoke to him afterwards and he said, Sharissa, that was an impressive speech. He said it could have been in the senior division. Just one thing. For the next round, take God out of it. And I went and told my teacher. She said, what do you say? told her. She said to me, do you remember why you went into this? I said, yes. She said, then I wouldn't change a thing. I went to the next round, lost. Every other competition she entered me into, I lost. But that's okay. Because my promise to God that night as a 14-year-old was, if you let me win tomorrow, I'll speak for you wherever you open the doors. And I could never have imagined that that promise made many years ago uh, would take me all around the world and even bring me into this studio to Indeed. share. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's, oh, that's such a powerful story. Praise God. It's Absolutely. his story. Absolutely. Yeah? And um, now, at the moment, you're sort of involved in something that's, uh, that's going to be happening. It's called The End. Mm. Would you like to just quickly tell us a little bit about that uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, I'd love to. So next uh, Tuesday night, I believe, at 7.30, October 27, we are beginning an epic series. It's called America and The End. And what many people don't realize is that the Bible has some incredible prophecies that relate to the United States. And if you don't know it, you need to hear about it because it is it is just amazing and it's so relevant to right now. So yeah, if people want to join, they can go to theend.digital. All of the episodes, there'll be nine, will be uploaded there. You can watch it on YouTube, Facebook. Yeah, it's everywhere. We'd love to have you. Teresa Tarosian, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you mentioned, just before we go, you mentioned earlier um, that you have a sister. Now, we know a little <laughs> bit about her. She is Marletta Fong. Yeah. She's actually a singer. And the song that we've got coming up next is a song called I Have a Friend uh, featuring Sonia Kitevsky. Kuz- uh, and yourself, Sharissa Fong, uh, back before you got married. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, sit back and enjoy. And uh, again, Sharissa, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us this afternoon. Thank you.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You are listening to Real Faith. Oh, I just said that. Faith FM. (laughs) You're listening to Faith FM Radio. We're so pleased to have you with us. We are just about to get into our Bible study portion for the show. But before we do that, we just wanted to remind you that you can call in with questions about the Bible, about God, etc., spiritual matters, um, and we would love to discuss them with you. But what we didn't tell you before is that we actually have a giveaway today. Yes, giveaway! So I love this. So for the first caller in today, you will, well, the first caller in with a question, of course, you will receive a free copy of a book called Patriarchs and Prophets. And this is, uh, this is actually a, a, one of the books in this series I haven't read yet, but this is a book that goes through kind of like a commentary on the Old Testament from Genesis through the end of King David's reign. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great book, what portions I've read of it before. Um, so Patriarchs and Prophets, it goes through the history, starting with really the, the, the creation of the world, a little bit before that in heaven with the angels as well, and then going through all the history um, kind of from that point of the fall of Adam through to King David. Uh, it's one, actually, it's, it's the first of a five-part series that goes all the way through the whole of the Bible and then actually through the history of the Reformation up till now and onwards. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really um, good. I was reading parts of it already um, before the show as well, and I find it's really helpful to help me think about and gain an understanding of the people involved. So we're, I was looking at David, and that's what we're doing today. And I just find that it's really helpful to get a broader view for me. So definitely recommend it. Very cool. So our first caller in for Question of the Week today will get a free copy of that book, Patriarchs and Prophets. And if you would like to call in, you can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669. And you can also hit us up on our Facebook, <laughs> Facebook page. Man, faith and face and book and there's too many too many things that rhyme on this on this show. I get my... My, my words all mixed up. I love it. Anyway, we're going to get into our Bible study. So we are starting on King David today. Yes. And to find that, you can turn to a book in the Old Testament called First Samuel. And we're going to First Samuel chapter 16. And that's what we'll be looking at today. Mm-hmm. So give us a quick rundown, Beck. I'm going to put you on the spot. You can throw it back if you're uncomfortable or you, you feel like you've said enough of what's happened leading up to this point based on the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So basically, we've looked at the story of Saul, the first king of Israel. Um, he wasn't, they weren't supposed to have a king. It sort of went against what they're putting God at the center, but the people wanted a king. They cried for one. They got Saul and Saul was faithful for a little bit, quite a little bit. And then he just regressed from there. He didn't um, do the things that God had asked of him. He wasn't obedient. He rebelled. He went his own way, um, especially because of pride and different issues that he had. And so because of that, the kingdom in, in fact, was uh, taken from Saul in the fact that God said, I'm going to give you another king. And so at this point, it hasn't been taken from Saul, but God's spirit, it says, has really departed from him. That's awesome. Not awesome for Saul, but a great, a great... um, Synopsis. Synopsis, that's the word. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And so Saul has just been rejected as king. He's still in the position of king. Yeah. But he is in that position knowing that God has kind of left his presence, so to speak, which we're going to talk about a bit more as it comes Mm. up later in the story. But Samuel, the prophet at the time, also says, I will not come to worship with you anymore. And so he's cut off from Samuel. Now, the the time frame between the end of 1 Samuel 15 
and the beginning of 1 Samuel 16, where we're starting today, is, is an unknown period of time. We don't really know how long Saul was king in between that event and the story that we're looking at today. Could have been a short time, could have been a long time, we're not sure. But we're getting into the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. So let's start with a prayer, and we will get into our Bible study. Father God, we just invite you uh, to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. Teach us who you are. Teach us more about Jesus. And I pray that you'd lead us to find things to apply to our lives. In mm. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Beck, we'll get you to start with verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Yeah. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. All right, let's pause there. There's already some great stuff to talk about. Okay, God speaks to Samuel, and what, what is it that he starts by saying? Yeah, he, he tells Samuel, he says, you're mourning about Saul, and he says, I'm picking another king, so get up and, and go. Um, you're going to anoint this new king. Isn't that interesting? It just strikes me that there are times in my life where God has made it plain that one door has closed, and it's now time to walk through another door. And often I am very slow to respond to change like that. And you know, it's, just, it's just so easy to mourn something that has closed, to whatever that might be, you know, a stage of life, a particular choice that has been made that now has a, di- a different consequence in your life. It's so easy to spend time mourning over the past rather than asking God to lead you in moving forward. Now, I'm not saying that there's not an appropriate time for grieving when things go wrong or when you lose somebody or when, you know, you you lose a job or, you know, things close down, things change. And it's okay to grieve, but it's interesting that Samuel was in the position that I think a lot of us find ourselves in where we spend time beyond what's necessary, continuing to grieve, continuing to mourn. And when we do so, we can sometimes neglect the very next stages that God has in order to give us. And sometimes those are very beautiful things. And so it's really interesting to me that here Samuel's a prophet of God and even he yeah. struggles with this too. That really struck me as well when I was reading it and I thought, man, yeah, just how how long do I spend focusing or lamenting poor choices or bad things instead of asking God yet yeah, to go forward? So let's keep reading. Let's find out some more. <clears throat> Starting with verse two. Samuel said... Oh, sorry. No, I just wanted to say something else. I forgot. (laughs) I'm not very professional on the radio. Anyway, he says, for I have provided myself a king among Jesse's sons. And I think that's just really cool to think about. God had provided Saul as a response to the people's request for a king. Saul fails and God has provided himself another king. And I just like that. It's God's plan. Mm. Now we can keep reading. (laughs) And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. All right, we'll pause there. 
Okay, so this is really interesting. What's the conversation that basically ensues between God and Samuel? Yeah, Samuel says, Lord, I don't want to do this because there's still a king. Saul's still king, technically, even though your spirit has withdrawn from him. And he said, he will kill me if I anoint another king. So God says, go and offer a sacrifice and invite the people that I'm choosing the king from to the sacrifice. Isn't that interesting? Now, on on first surface level reading, this almost raises some ethical questions, right? Nobody wants to talk about these things probably, but is God asking Samuel to be deceptive? Nobody wants to answer that question. Everybody's lips are sealed. You know, it's really interesting to think about because God says he is the same yesterday and today and forever. He does not change. God is not about deception. And yet in this instance, we have to ask the question, was, was this deceptive? Was God asking Samuel to keep this a secret for a reason? Was he asking him to lie? And the answer is no. He wasn't asking him to lie. He actually says, go and offer a sacrifice. Use that as a way to gather the people. Now, there are times where this takes place. But it's really interesting to think about also the fact that Samuel's going to anoint a king and Saul knows that he's been rejected as king. And Saul is actually, we're going to discover as we continue through this journey, as we learn more about King David, that Saul actually became a very jealous and a very violent man. Um, and there was real danger. So he goes in, not, not lying, but he goes in with more than one reason. And so he comes in with this reason, and he's going to offer this sacrifice, but while he's doing that, he's also going to find the king. Now, the interesting thing to note is when Samuel actually went about anointing Saul for the kingship, he didn't do that publicly either. Saul was anointed as king, and, and, and by the way, anointing means to be basically set apart. So an anointed one means the one who is set apart or, or holy or consecrated. And the way that they would basically do this is they would take olive oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit we see throughout Scripture, and they would pour this on the head of the person and set them apart for this task. And it's very interesting to note that, in fact, when Saul was anointed for, to, for his kingship by Samuel, it was done in private. And what's interesting is that this gives Saul the opportunity to respond to God's call of anointing or to reject it prior to his actually being consecrated publicly as king. And so what he's called to do here is not to consecrate someone to be king in Saul's place right now. He's actually calling him to go and anoint or set apart a person that God has called to be king in in Saul's stead in the future. But it's actually following a similar pattern to the way that he did it with with, with Saul. So he's not actually asking him to do anything significantly different than before. He's actually asking him to follow the same pattern and he's going here to make an offering. And it, there's a lot of similarities with how this happened with Saul, which is just really interesting. So God's got him doing this. It's gonna protect his life. He is going to offer an offering to God and draw the people together. And he's looking for this new person who's going to be anointed as the next king. This is Because He Lives. I know. God said his son They call him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. I got it that time. Excellent. No more mistakes until they make mistakes. Now, welcome back, guys. We're so glad to have you here. Just one more time, I'd like to do a quick shameless plug uh, for question of the week. If you would like to call in with a Bible question or a question about God or spirituality, please do so. And Beck's going to tell you how in a moment. But if you are our first caller in today, yes. you will receive a free copy of a great book called Patriarchs and Prophets by a woman named Ellen White. And it is a great book on the, basically a commentary on the Old Testament from Genesis through to the story of David. Yeah. 
Super exciting. So if you want something, which we know you do, everyone wants free things. Oh, I love Call free stuff. us on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. And if you don't like free stuff, think about it this way. By calling in, you're kind of earning a prize like that's it's almost like a reward yeah anyway, so whatever <laughs> motivates you use that motivation a question if you have a genuine question that would be great as well yes with a question for sure <laughs> all right so we're back in the story samuel has arrived the the you know what's interesting the, the people when samuel arrives it says they come out trembling yeah now here's a question why do you think you would come out trembling if the prophet of god came to you unannounced because very often they came to reveal things that you had done wrong yeah. to you or that you needed to repent of or that that was a, a hectic message from God for you as a people. And so they were like, oh, do you come in peace? Is this a good message or is this a bad message? You know, isn't it interesting? Because I think sometimes we we have a tendency to view lots of things this way, right? So if a police officer talks to me, the first thing I think is, oh, no, have I, have I broken a, a traffic law or something, right? And it's interesting that... W- Humans seem to have a natural response towards anyone who's in an authority position that if they're coming, there's nervousness that it's negative. Uh-huh. And I think that a lot of people have this feeling. And so these, these people have this feeling towards the prophet. But it, a lot of people have this feeling towards God, that if God's going to come to me, he's coming for a bad reason. But that's not the case necessarily at all. Often God is coming to speak good things. Often God is coming to deal with problems as well, but it's interesting that it's it's often our perception. And so the people's perception is, oh no, the yeah. prophet's coming. What's going wrong? What have we done? And their knees are shaking and they're fearful and they say this, have you come peaceably? Because he wasn't coming at the normal time. Like he would come to make an offering at a particular time and this was outside of the ordinary. And if he's coming with an offering, you're probably thinking, oh no, what, what have we done wrong? Now there needs to be a sin offering or something. And so the people are terrified. Mm-hmm. You, how relieved would you be when he says, no, I've come peaceably. Yeah. All is well. You're like, Consecrate party. yourselves. We're going to have a feast. Yeah, we're going to make a sacrifice to God and we're going to have a celebration. Yeah. It'd be a, it'd be a bit relieving, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's keep reading and let's find out what's going to happen next because he's been told by God, you're going to go and anoint the person who's going to be the next king. Mm-hmm. So let's find out. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right. I don't want to comment on that just yet, but I want you to. Rem- I want that to stick out like, like a like a sore thumb. Yeah, I can say it again. Yeah, just let's read that last part again. The Lord part. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance yeah. and makes his judgments based on this, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. Keep that in your mind, and we'll keep reading through the list of the sons. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. 
And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Awesome. All right, so just just let's let's recap that and just keep this in your mind, because sometimes I think we read the Bible like it's just really flat on the page. But just just picture in your mind this scene: Samuel has come and he's spoken to Jesse, and he says, "Hey, come and bring your sons to the feast." Mm-hmm. And Jesse's probably feeling a little bit like, "Wow, like I've been called out specifically by the prophet that I need to come to this feast, to this sacrifice. I need to consecrate not only myself but all of my sons." And so he brings his sons. But he doesn't bring all of them. He's got eight sons, apparently, from this passage of Scripture, and he brings them. And in the Middle Eastern culture, age, in terms of the child lineup, is a big deal. Yeah. Right? The firstborn gets a double portion of the inheritance, mm-hmm. twice as much as everybody else, right? Like, boom. He gets twice as much as the other sons get. He also gets a lot more responsibility, too. Yes, he does. That's right. And so he's going to be basically following on in the patriarchal line to be looking after the whole family as the head of the family. He's going to have a big responsibility. But that all goes to the oldest son. The youngest son is kind of like, meh. He's got, he doesn't have a lot of respect, etc. And so he comes in, and here comes the oldest son. And God says to Samuel, well, first of all, Samuel's like, this is the one. Yeah, he's good looking. All the things, I think he was probably thinking about Saul. And Saul was a head and shoulders above everybody else. And so this guy calls in and he's pretty, he's more comparable. And Saul is like, clearly, this is the man. Yeah, and, and now think, so think about this. Sometimes we think a little bit differently. Like, what would make a good king now? Yeah. You're not going to be thinking about somebody who's really strong and got big flexing muscles. Like, cool, that's fine. But we want somebody who knows how to run the military or knows how to run finances and economics and politics. But if you think about it from their perspective, physical battle, the king would actually be involved in. So you need somebody who can represent visually that you guys are strong, that you can go into battle. They're not fighting with long range weapons Mm -hmm. aside from bows and arrows or, or spears or something. So their perception of what makes a king or a person like uh, qualified to be in that position is going to look a little different. Than yeah, definitely. So Sam is like, this is the guy. God's like, no, it's not. <laughs> and then he says this amazing thing. I love it. This is such a cool Bible verse. He says, look, I don't judge the way that you judge. Yeah. Because you make your judgments of everybody mm-hmm. based on what you see on the outside. When you see somebody performing well visually, like they look like they're good, they look like they're well kept. He says, you judge based on that. You judge based on outward appearance. He says, but I'm God and I don't base my judgments just upon appearances Mm. because I can see everything. Yeah, I see into the depths of your soul. I can see your heart And, and, and just remember that the heart in the Bible is not not necessarily exactly the way we see the heart. The heart's the, the seat of the affections. It's the seat of the will where you make decisions from. This is kind of the idea behind the heart. It's who you are as a person. Yeah. It's how you think. It's the intellect and then some. It's the heart and the emotions. It's the heart and the mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's all of these ideas are embedded in there. And God says, I'm making my judgments based on what I see is the totality of the person and their character. Yeah. That's kind of scary on the one hand, but so beautiful on the other. And it also, to me, shows 
especially that Jesse didn't even view his son like necessarily like this because he didn't bring him. He's not even he invited. Didn't bring the young son. He didn't see. You know, he just brings the others and he doesn't see him and his character because David has a good character but obviously he was still judging somewhat as man judges on the outside and also how their system judges so I think sometimes yeah we're judged by society around us and by what society says is good and if your society values sport and you're not sporting then you're not really valued very much or mm. if they value intelligence book book work intelligence and you're not good at book work or writing and different things the society is like oh you're this is an area that you're not good at and they they don't value it you as highly and i feel like jesse here is also sort of buying into that he's not valuing his son as highly he's like oh clearly it couldn't be him he's the youngest one he doesn't really count is going to be one of these these older guys that's right and so he's got the other sons and when the first son's like not that guy so then he brings the next in line Bum, bum, next, bum, bum, next, yeah. bum, bum, next. And he goes through all seven. Now, there's only seven sons here. Samuel doesn't know if there's any other sons. And Samuel's like, uh, God said no to all of these dudes. So uh, you, you got any more kids? Like, is there another son that you, you, you got hiding in the cupboard somewhere? Like, where is this guy? And he says, oh, yeah, there's one more. He's just the youngest. We didn't think he was worth bringing, mm-hmm. essentially. We just, he's out in the field looking after the sheep. And so he says, I'll wait. We're not eating dinner. We're not having the feast mm-hmm. until you bring him before me. Yeah. He's and basically like our work is not done and we're not going to sit down even. We're waiting. We're hanging out till this guy comes. That's right. So who knows how far away he was. But maybe he said, look, maybe he was within sight. We don't know. But <laughs> when he comes, God's response comes immediately. He says, arise, anoint him. Mm-hmm. This is the one. And I love this because God sees through just the outward appearance to what really makes up a person. And so sometimes we, we think, oh man, well, I'm not that person. So how could God use me? Mm. I'm not that person with those qualities and those skills. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not successful enough. Maybe God's got no plan for me. But God doesn't judge based on the outward appearance. God judges based on the heart. Yeah. He knows what's underneath. And he's putting people into positions that other people just are. Who would put David in this position? Who would anoint this kid who's looking after the sheep to be the king of a country? A whole nation of 12 tribes of people. Who would do that? But see, God saw what was underneath. God saw the potential. And you know, it's interesting when you think about this. When I think about what makes David a man after God's own heart, which is how God describes him later. It's interesting. What makes him different than the others is unlike Saul, he was humbly submitted to God. He made a lot of mistakes. He had some huge failings, which we're going to talk about in this series. Mm -hmm. And yet he was willing to repent when he was wrong and to humbly come back to God and ask for forgiveness and look for change. And this desire of his to be connected to God in personal relationship and submitted and surrendered to God, this is what qualified him yeah. to be king. And something that's so cool from that is that God says, I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. And then he calls David a man after his own heart. So what God is looking at, the good that he sees, is the goodness of God. So when you have God's goodness in you and in your heart, that's what he sees. And so we can have that if we allow God into our heart. We can also be a man or a woman after God's own heart because we have God living in us. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. 
Let's read verse 13 before we go to our break. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. I love this. So he picks up the horn of oil, which is, so that's basically that was their their container that they would carry the fluid in, a horn that had some sort of lid, so actually a carved out like animal horn. Poises the oil over his head. It says that the Holy Spirit comes upon him, which is what the oil is symbolic of anyway. And there's going to be a contrast coming up. And I love this. Samuel has come, he's done the work, the job's over, and the very first thing that he does now is, my work is done, and he goes home. This is the Homeland Singers, It Is Well With My Soul. Well, it is well. 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. And uh, super excited to announce we, we do have a winner for our uh, question of the our first question of the week giveaway. But you can still call in with questions of the week, and we'll still attempt to answer those. We have a couple to go through today. Um, if we don't get through them all today, we will get through them next week. Yes. So um, thank you to Lee. Congratulations. We'll get to your question a bit later in the show. Uh, just after we finish our Bible study, it's our next segment after the news, etc. Mm-hmm. So look forward to having a look at that with your question, Lee. And um, anyway, and my producer is saying we can give. Oh, we can give another one away. That's what I said. So hey, if you want to get it, if if you want to give another question, I've just found out. I've now been given the authority to say <laughs> you can do so. And we have another copy of Patriarchs and Prophets for yes. you. So Ring. call in. This is this is a great opportunity. So you can do so by calling in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us at 0491-064-669. Or hit us up on our Faith FM Facebook page. All right. So we're back into the story. This is our last segment as we go through this next shift in the story. Now, just want to highlight for us that where we left off in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says that after Samuel anointed David, it says the Spirit of the Lord, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. came upon David. This is hugely important. David is anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he's accepting God's call, and God is going to continue to train him. He doesn't actually become king for a number of years, which we're going to find out, but he is hearing the call and the Spirit of God comes into his life in a powerful, powerful way. Let's continue with verse 14 and contrast this as we as the story narrates a little bit about Saul. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a handsome person and the Lord is with him. All right. So super interesting to note. It's it's so interesting that it happens the very next verse. There's there's a there's a not subtle at all contrast. It's yeah. very stark. And it says in the one breath it says the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Mm-hmm. And in the very next breath it says but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple weeks ago, somebody, somebody, I think, asked us about the unpardonable sin. And, you know, we talked about how really the unpardonable sin is the sin that's not confessed to God in the sense that as we reject the Holy Spirit over and over and over, who Jesus says convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment, when the Holy Spirit comes knocking on the door of your heart, so to speak, and says, hey, mm. hey, here's, here's something that you need to know. And we just push that away and push it away and push it away. We, we find that we, we find it harder to hear the Holy Spirit till the point where we can no longer hear him because we're pushing him so far out. We've told God, we don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want you. Now, God respects free will. And so if we've come to the point where we're saying, stop bothering us, God honors that. 
And this is basically what's gone on by Saul's actions. He's saying, I don't, I don't want to respond to God's Holy Spirit. And so at this point, I mean, what can God do? And so the Holy Spirit departs from Saul. He's not filled with the Spirit the way that he was before. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question. What happens when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Well, definitely we have ourselves to think about, you know, our thoughts, our processes. And I know for me, when I don't feel like I'm, I'm spending that time or, or filled with God's spirit, I'm allowing negative thoughts, negative emotions and things to enter my mind. And what we were talking before, ruminating or mourning on things, um, there's a time and you're like, oh, this definitely wasn't a godly time. This was me mourning and being filled with these thoughts. Yeah, totally. And so it's very interesting. It says in, in, in the text there, in verse 14, it says, when the Holy Spirit left, it says a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Mm-hmm. In other words, he's now not filled with the joy and the peace that comes from the Spirit of God. He's, he's got other things on his mind. And you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's not that if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit that you're like possessed automatically by the devil or something. That's not what we're saying here. But people ask this question, well, what's going on? There was a distressing spirit from the Lord? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's important to note here that the Bible often attributes to God in the Old Testament things that are not necessarily his active choice, but what he allows, right? So if the Holy Spirit's not filling Saul, he's kind of open to other spirits. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you know, Jesus says that when, when a demon is cast out of a person's life, he says, oh, you know, the house is now swept. But if the house isn't filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, if you're not putting God's Spirit in there, if you're not responding to God, then you're leaving yourself open to attack is the yeah. point. And something that we have there is that we always have the devil attacking us. That's right. You know, um, it talks in Ephesians, Paul talks and says, actually, this is something you're going to be in is a spiritual battle because mm. there's demons out there, there's spiritual forces, and not to be afraid of them, but be like, this is a very real reality that we face. And so, yeah, if, if there is a spiritual battle going on and Saul has pushed away the Holy Spirit, then who is he allowing in, into his life? That's right. So he's got other influences that he's more susceptible to. And so it's not, it's not that God has actively sent a a distressing spirit upon Saul. It's it's that God has permitted this in, in that Saul has refused the promptings of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit's not filling him anymore. I also had something to note here, which I just was doing a little bit of research, and some of the Bible scholars um, do a lot more deeper research into what words mean. And some of them, it just helps give a clearer understanding if you take this into account that the spirit or the evil spirit doesn't always mean an actual spirit. It can also mean your mind or attitude of mind Mm, and thoughts that you are having. And so with that, it didn't. It doesn't necessarily even mean that it's a spirit. It it means that the like the heart that you were talking about with David, the spirit. Of, of thoughts, the, the, the joyful spirit or the angry spirit that Saul was harboring is actually could be his attitude, his disposition that he was choosing. Mm. And it appears that as we see Saul through, throughout, as he goes further and he's sort of basically chasing David, we find that his spirit and his, his joyfulness and love and light, that's not there. He's, he's filled with jealousy and envy and pride and all of these things are of Satan. So they're not coming from God. But he's allowing these things to come in and he's ruminating on them. And in doing that, his attitude and disposition is an evil evil one. Mm, totally. And so he calls in and the story says he's stressed. He's distressed. Yeah. He's got a anxiety, etc. And so they go, well, maybe the best thing to do is play some calming music. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He's like, well, it, there's no CDs at this time. There's no Spotify, none of that stuff. I dated myself there with CDs, didn't I? <laughs> um, so they actually had to get live musicians if he wanted to try this as a way to calm him and, and bring peace into his life. And so they recommend David. And so he sends for David. And then in verse 19, it goes on. And well, let's read the rest of the chapter so we don't yeah. run out of time. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Isn't it interesting that music can have such a profound impact? Obviously, different types of music have different impact, you know. If he was playing something that was (laughs) really fully on, full on and intense, it probably wouldn't have been so calming. Yes. But, But like, it's just really interesting that the music can have an impact on mood. Definitely. And we and see that here. Just a quick thought before we run into the break. Something I just thought of then is that um, in that time when the Pharisees tell Jesus that he's casting out a devil by the power of the devil, Jesus says, can a devil cast out devils? And here I'm looking, I'm thinking, man, would God cast out with God? So if it was an evil spirit, would God be casting out that evil spirit by a refreshing spirit from the Lord that came through David and beautiful music? It doesn't marry up in my mind. Yeah, I think I'm following. <laughs> but it, but yeah, it's so, so God has given him a blessing through David anyway. And this, this young man who's full of the Holy Spirit is actually ministering to the lost king of Israel, which is a beautiful picture which is really what all of us are called to do as we come to know Jesus is to lead and minister other people towards Jesus. This is Gavin Shadler, All Things Bright and Beautiful.
To see them, lips that we might tell the goodness of the Father that doeth all things well. Yes, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, and all things wise and wonderful. Lord God made them all. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. And what time is it? Question of the week. Awesome. Super excited. We have got a number of questions here. And uh, our awesome producer, Liam, is going to read some of these questions out. But first of all, thank you guys for that. We've got a couple of Patriarchs and Prophets going out. Absolutely. Uh, but super stoked. We're going to try and get through all these questions. I think we've got about four today. So um, we'll see how we go with getting through them all. If we don't manage to get through them all this Today, then we will get to them next week, um, but hopefully we'll be able to get through them all. All right. The first question comes in from Janice, and it is, is it okay to go to a wedding on Saturday, the Sabbath? Awesome. So great question, talking about Sabbath keeping. And um, the, I think that with, rather than just answering that question straightly, I, w- I want to give you a principle that I think is, is the biblical principle about how to answer these kinds of questions. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, it gives us the Sabbath commandment, and it reads... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which means set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now, this is where it gets very interesting, so take note of this. In it, you shall do no work, and then he clarifies, because people will have question about what that means. And notice this, he says, number one, you. So how many times does he talk about you? One time. The second thing is, he says, nor your son, nor your daughter nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. And then he gives the reason, which is that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that is in them, rest of the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, I want to just point this out. When it comes to the Sabbath principle, there are two basic fundamental things. He says, number one, don't do things that are causing you yourself to work. The Sabbath is a day to rest from your actual labor. And this is specifically talking about the work that you do, like, like work work. Mm-hmm. And so our context is a little bit different. Most of us aren't living in a farming community necessarily, but we have an employer, etc. So anything to do with work, he says, don't do that. So that's number one. But then notice this. He says that one time. And then six times, he says, don't do things that cause other people to work. And this is astounding and beautiful. Yeah. Because this is actually an issue of human rights. And in fact, animal rights. And he says, hey, just in case somebody was going to get their rest by causing others to work, you know, to extort others for their own rest, he says, not your son nor your daughter. Let me clarify, because in case you had a question about whether it was going to be gender specific, he says both of them, right? Mm-hmm. So not, don't do anything that causes those under your uh, influence to work in terms of your family. Not even those who work underneath you, not your employees. And then also, not even your animals of labor, even your cows, you don't get to make them work. And then beyond that, he says, not 
not just the people in your sphere and your community and your belief system, but also those who are outside of your belief system, the stranger who's living in your community, mm-hmm. right? So he says, you're not supposed to cause anyone else to work. Beyond that, you have a passage in Isaiah 58 where he says, uh, if you call the Sabbath a delight and don't do your own pleasure, speaking your own words, etc." What's really interesting to note about that is some scholars so, say that, will, will demonstrate that that Hebrew word for pleasure is not just necessarily fun. It's actually things to do with employment and with work and extending your own business on the Sabbath. Mm. And so it's really interesting that basically the, the two primary questions to answer any Sabbath question is, um, if, if I'm going to keep the Sabbath, is this Sabbath appropriate or not? The, the basic thing to identify is, is this thing causing me to work? If yes, then it's not appropriate. If no, proceed to question two, which is, is this causing anyone else to work? Yeah. If yes, then no. If not, then proceed to really the question of, hey, is this drawing me closer to Jesus? Is this a blessing, et cetera? And then you really have to work the rest out. If, if, it's, if the answer is no to those first two questions, then it's between you and Jesus to work out. Um, so with regards to wedding, I guess to be specific, what I would suggest is, hey, if I go to the wedding, am I working? If the answer is no, then proceed to the next question. Am I causing others to work? I've been to a wedding on the Sabbath, and then I didn't go to the reception because it was at a restaurant, and I didn't want to cause them to work, but this, you know, the wedding was at the beach, and I wasn't causing anybody to work by being there, so I felt totally comfortable to do that to support this person I was doing Bible studies with in their marriage. Um, and, and so that's how I dealt with that. But I wasn't causing people to work or working myself, and that was how I navigated that question. So I hope that's helpful to you, Janice. Uh, may God bless you and give you wisdom. Next question. Yeah, the next question comes in from Lee. Uh, it says, God is love. Does he destroy? Great question. Now, did you want to start with that one, Beck? Yeah. Um, I've just done an essay on this topic, so I have a lot to say, but we don't have a lot of time. So I'll just stick to a, a couple of things and then Robbie can take it away, which something that we shy away from is God and violence. Um, and what we see in this world is that because it's so broken, God uses violence sometimes to stop worse things happening. So in his allowing something to happen or causing something to happen, he's trying to stop worse things from happening. And so something that we see in Exodus 22, which I think is really important to note because it's also about justice. Exodus 22 verses 23 and 24. 22 says, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry it all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. And God is saying there to his own people that if you afflict these people, if you don't do the right thing to these people, I will meet out punishment on you. And he says, I will kill you. You know, I will, I will destroy you. And what he's saying here is that his care for these people is so much that he will cause something to happen and he will he will bring judgment to stop worse things happening. And we see that throughout the Bible. There's things like the flood, the worldwide flood, um, that we see God to, to try and stop humanity destroying itself. He destroys what was necessary at the time as well. Yeah. Now, it's a great question, by the way, and uh, thank you for sending that in, Lee. Um, there, there are many other evidences that we have in Scripture where, where God is described as love. And God also does at times destroy. Now, one thing I want to add as a caveat here is that not everything that dies is direct correlation to God 
actively killing something. I think that's important to note as well. But there are times in Scripture where it does say that God specifically destroyed. Um, there are a number of other occurrences. One of those that I think is important to note is that sometimes people get the idea that you know God the Father is the big bad tyrant and Jesus is you know the, the gentle lamb and they're like caricatures, opposite caricatures of each other, right? But in the Old Testament, Jesus is called the angel of the Lord. And there's a passage in 2 Kings 19, verse 35, where it actually says, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord, aka Jesus, went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Now, just to note here, because um, this is kind of a cherry-picked verse, it's not in its context, and I want to clarify that a little bit. This was an army of 185,000 people that were coming out to terrorize God's people and to kill them. And God intervened in a powerful way, and God did destroy. Um, there are other places where we see this happen. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit, and Peter confronts them on this, and it says, that why did you, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And then it says, immediately they dropped down dead. Um, we've got the destruction of the wicked that's told about at the second coming um, and the final destruction of the wicked um, in, in Revelation 20. It's Revelation 19 and 20, respectively. Um, so there are a number of places where we see this. Now, the, 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 I guess the, the cognitive dissonance that we come into is how can, how can a God who is other-centered mm-hmm. by nature and is love ever destroy anything? And I think one of the ways that helps me to understand that is, one, we also have the promise that God's desire is not that anyone should die. Ezekiel 18, he says, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked or rather that they would turn and live? He says, turn and live. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want you to die. But the, the, the challenging thing is that God cannot allow sin and suffering to go on forever and to, to maintain and sustain life to do so. Because if you think about it, Everyone that is alive right now is sustained by God. If, if God didn't exist, then we wouldn't exist. If he wasn't sustaining and keeping us alive, we poof, we're gone because he is the source of all life. And so therefore, you know, God has to do something about this. So when it comes to getting rid of sin in the universe, there's unfortunately a group of people who say, I don't want to let go of that. I want to continue in sin and so God destroys sin, and he also destroys those who are unwilling to let go of that um, at the end of time. So it's, it's a challenging thing, but it's actually a really helpful thing because God is, in bringing justice, God is also giving mercy to the victims yeah. of the abuses that have been received. And so God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. We're going to take a break and come back to some more questions. This is Bryce Little Star. Slow right down 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You are listening to Faith FM, and uh, we're doing something almost unprecedented on the show. We got so many questions for the question of the week, which we're stoked about, um, that we're going to spend a little bit of extra time here before we get to our application section. Um, so the next question is, actually, Liam, could you read that out for us? Absolutely. Uh, the next question comes in from Darren. Hi, Real Faith team. If Adam and Eve never fell into sin and the human race remained sinless, a divine savior would not be required to die for our sins. If this is true, does this mean that Adam and Eve had to be predestined by God to fall into sin? Awesome. Great question. So I think there's, there's not a whole lot of places to really go to talk about this because it's one of the challenges that we find is sometimes we ask questions that really, I guess, are a bit speculative. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're bad questions to ask, but the Bible doesn't necessarily give us a lot on those subjects. So I guess my, my short answer would be, actually, Liam, can you bring it back up on the screen for me just so I can see it? Because it's, 
easier to, there's, there's a lot of words there. So, so a divine savior would not be required to die for sins, etc. So if there had never been any sin, the reality is that Jesus never would have had to become a man full stop, right? So Jesus coming as a human being and living a perfect life is only for the covering of sins. And, and you established that in your first point. And so the question is, well, because of that, does that mean that God predestined or foreordained Adam and Eve to sin? And I think the simple answer to that is it doesn't. Because if they had never done that, he never would have had to take that measure. Um, there are a couple of verses that talk about this. There's The first one is Revelation 13, verse 8, which talks about Jesus as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So notice, when was he slain from? Yeah, the foundation of the world. The foundation of the world. Not before that. Interesting. So it seems to be identifying that it's connecting that from the time that the earth was, there was a plan for Jesus to come and fulfill this role if necessary. Mm -hmm. A second place to look at for that is Hebrews chapter 9, where it talks about the Jesus as the sacrifice, and in verse 26, Hebrews 9, 26, it says, He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And the last one would be 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, and it says, well, it's, it's actually a longer passage, but it says, in short, it says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So here it's connecting it to foreordained before the foundation of the world. Um, so this, those two ideas are set in concert with each other. And I guess the idea that, that what that speaks to me is just basically that there was always a plan that if humanity went wrong, mm -hmm. the Son of God would be willing to become a human being and become that sacrifice. But it's always, it's always there as a plan. It never would have been acted out unless the people had actually done that. And so something that I think is really helpful on this topic is that what God foreknows is not the same as what God forechose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you catch what I'm meaning really there. Yeah. What God foreknows is not the same as what he forechose. Because God doesn't live in time in the same way that we do, you know, he knows all things. We don't we don't really know how to understand that. But just because God knew that I would make these mistakes or make these choices doesn't change the fact that I made them. Yeah. I'm still free even though God knows. It doesn't just because God knows what will happen doesn't mean he's the active agent in making it happen. Mm -hmm. So Jesus was foreordained to be that in the event that it needed to take place. Yeah. That would be my answer to that. Did you have anything to add, Beck? No worries. So awesome. Thanks for that question, Darren. And our last question is from Katie. Uh, you're going to give us that question? Absolutely. This is a really good one. How do we get better at hearing God's voice mm. and leading? Because sometimes I don't know if it fits my own head or him speaking. Awesome. What a wonderful question. Yeah, so thank you so, so much good. for that question, Katie. Um, thank you for all the questions, by the way. How do we get better at hearing God's voice and knowing that it's his voice and not just something else, mm -hmm. not just our thoughts or our feelings? The first thing I would say is that we really want to base our decision-making in the principles of God. So if I'm going to make a decision, I don't mean like whether or not I should eat wheat bix today or, you know, 
some other cereal, right? But when I'm, what I mean by this is that when we make big decisions in our life or any moral decision, we should base them first on the plain teaching of Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Because I can know if something is God's will or is not God's will by a number of tests. The first test is if the Bible says that it's sinful, then it's definitely not God's will. So that's the first thing I'd say for, in terms of hearing God's voice. I've got a decision to make. How do I know what God's wanting me to do? First of all, does it is it in accordance with God's character as described in Scripture? If yes, well, then we proceed to the next kind of test, right? And, and I would say then what we need to do is we need to be praying and asking for God to reveal to us what things would be best. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we get options that, you know, I've got two options in front of me and neither of those options are actually in conflict with God's, you know, God's will as described in the Bible. And so then we need to start asking questions like, well, I'm praying for God to reveal that to me through something. And I don't mean just necessarily like, give me a a big sign, but also, you know, lead me, God, teach me. And as I study scripture, speak to me, teach me about myself, what things would actually be, if even if they're all good things, well, what things would be best? Yeah. And then there are sometimes also where we, I think we need to seek for godly counsel um, and, and get an insight from other people who are well-respected in terms of being faithful to the character of God. That doesn't necessarily mean they're in a pastoral role or anything like that. It, it might just be that they're a faithful Christian mm-hmm. and you can learn from their wisdom because sometimes there might be two options that are perfectly okay, but one's better for you. Um, and so that's another way that I would say we could do that. So prayer, looking for godly counsel, studying of scripture. What do you have to add, Beck? Yeah, I agree with everything that Robbie said. I also think that sometimes, I've, I've been in this situation, and you're really trying to discern God's voice, and I think it's right, exactly what you said, Robbie. You can have two situations, um, and they can both be in accordance. And sometimes I think, as humans, we can over-spiritualize things in terms of we say, like, it has yeah. to be one or it has to be the other. And there's actually Great different point. options. And, and it doesn't have to be the one because God's given us a brain and an ability to think as well. So if you're in accordance with Scripture, if you're praying and if you're seeking for God's will, then step out in faith. Because mm. the thing that I have with that is you step out and you go as according to what you see to be right. And sometimes as you do that, God leads you in that journey. So he did that with Paul. There was a time when Paul in his ministry, Paul said, ah, oh, I'm going to go back. I'm going to visit all the churches. And as he decides to go and visit the churches, then the spirit of God comes to him in a dream and tells him to go to Macedonia. Yeah. And so it wasn't until he decided to get up and make a decision. And so sometimes I think do the best you can seek for God's counsel and then decide and make a decision. And as you do that, God will lead you if he wants you to go somewhere else. And the, the tag that I had on the end there as well is that, John chapter 16, verse 13 says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so to, when you pray, pray for the Holy Spirit to lead you. Mm. And if you pray and ask for God's spirit to lead you, he will lead you, even if you don't necessarily feel it, but you're praying for it, he will lead you. I love that. And, and one other quick thought on that is that, Give well two thoughts. Yeah, give God permission to close and open doors. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you and say to God, I'm, I'm, I think this is right. I'm going in what I believe you're calling me to do. If I'm wrong, show me, and I will change. Yes. Yeah. Give God that permission. And then the last thing is, oh, I think I've forgotten it. But I think that's, <laughs> I think that's really good because I did that recently. I prayed and I asked, and um, I had to make decisions in the last year, and I made a decision. It was godly. It was a good position, and. 
as I did that, then the door closed for that and another door opened. And I was like, okay, well, this is the thought. This is where I thought God was leading. He wasn't. He was leading somewhere else. And so I made a decision and then I trusted in God's leading. Mm. That's great advice, great wisdom. And we've come to the end of our time here, but I just I just want to encourage you all to really, oh, put it into practice. That was what I was going to say. That's my last piece of advice, Katie, is actually put into practice what you know to be right already because God will reveal to you more as you are following what he's already revealed to you. So guys, be like David, be a man after God's own heart. Know that God doesn't judge you just on the outside, but on the inside and come to him. Remember that real faith is lived faith. faith.